Welcome to our DSM Hollywood podcast series. The following is an excerpt from Dr. Daniel Sherstad's weekly online Bible study for those in the entertainment industry, along with those who have a passion to see the kingdom of God revealed in Hollywood. For more information about DSM Hollywood, including upcoming events and how to join in on our Bible studies, please visit www.dsmhollywood.com. We're so glad you have tuned in, and we're grateful for the privilege to help you grow in your holy calling in Christ Jesus. Before you listen, I encourage you to grab your Bible and set your heart in expectancy to receive from the Lord, knowing that his heart is free to grow in knowing him and to grow in walking with him. Bibles. Let's go to First First Kings chapter eighteen tonight. First Kings chapter eighteen tonight. We've been talking. This is going to be the third message in this series of messages that I've entitled "The Making of a Prophetic Generation," and uh, and uh, and so <clears throat> let me just take a few minutes and just um, um, uh, just kind of review. In First Kings chapter seventeen, because we got some new people here. Like I see, we got some new people. We always got new people that are uh, tuning in and and, and here. At, uh, live in person at the Bible study, but mm, about, uh, this is the, in the first week, I began to just show in 1 Kings chapter 17 that when, because we're using the life of the prophet Elijah, that when, whenever, throughout church history, throughout biblical history, throughout mm, the history uh, of, of earth here, whenever there was an evil day that presented itself, an evil generation, an evil government, evil uh, leaders that are running a nation, running a group of people, uh, whatever the case may be, whatever. The answer has always been from the very beginning, God raises up a man of God or a woman of God to be the answer to the evil day. Come on, now he doesn't raise up government programs. He doesn't raise up corporations. He raises up men of God and women of God to be the answer. So in the day of Elijah, it says that King Ahab, who's married to Jezebel, was the most wicked king over Israel up to that time. And uh, he had instituted all kinds of, built all kinds of temples, altars, worshiping Baal. And now he's got the whole nation worshiping Baal and not worshiping God. In fact, he has literally 850 false prophets that are literally leading under the inspiration and guidance of the king and the queen that are leading the whole nation, 850 false prophets. And so speaking false words, telling people this is what the Lord is saying. Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? And uh, <laughs> hey, come on, that's, that's my, that's my uh, adopted grandson, so he, he can do whatever he wants. And, uh, and so uh, anyway, uh, so... Um, I said to you, men of God, women of God are not born that way. Uh, I think that there's a great misnomer that people think that, that people are born that way. No, you're, you're not born that way. God looks. The book of Ezekiel says that God went and he looked for a man. He looked for a woman. Someone who was willing to yield to the Holy Spirit. He's looking for people who are willing to yield, and once he does that, and they're willing to yield, that's why many are called, few are chosen. The chosen ones are the ones who actually pick up the call and answer the phone. Come on now. Most people are not picking up the phone, and they're not answering the call. That's why everybody's called, 
few pick up the phone and respond to the call of God upon their lives. And so those that they do, God says, when you're doing that, you're saying, I'm willing to yield to the process of what it really makes. So God makes the man, he breathes into him a message, and once that message is breathed into him, a ministry is born. That's how it happens. You just, don't, you just don't wake up one morning and have a ministry in the kingdom of God. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to literally make you a real man of God, a real woman of God. And in that, he will literally, by the breath of God, create a message that will become the ministry that will touch everybody in your world. So the first place that God brings uh, Elijah was a place called Cherith. Cherith in the Hebrew language means the cutting place. So prophetically, it means this, that uh, he brings us to a place in our life or a season in our life where he wants to cut some things into our lives. He wants to cut some things out of our lives, and then he wants to cut some things into our lives. Three of the things that God cut into the prophet Elijah's life was he, mm, humility, and he cut some dependency, and he cut obedience at Cherith. Uh, and then when he was done there and the brook dried up, he, he told him, I want you to go to a place called Zarephath. This place in the Hebrew language means the place of refining fires. Uh, because it was a huge city. Uh, Zarephath was the, mm, the capital city of Baal worship. It's the hometown of Jezebel. Uh, it's the hometown of all of her relatives. And notice God sends him to the, the most wicked city in the nation at that time. And he says, I want you to go there and I want you, uh, I got a widow. He didn't tell him that she was a poor widow that's about to die and has no money. I'm, I have raised up a widow who's going to sustain you, man of God for the next three years until this drought is over. He had no idea when he got there. My goodness, um, he came across this widow here, and he begins to prophesy. This woman obeys the prophetic word that's spoken over. Supernatural abundance comes. Supernatural miraculous provision comes. Resurrection. She raises his son from the dead. All kinds of miracles are taking place because one woman obeyed the prophetic voice of God. So in there, what God does is, here's the process, whatever God cuts into your life at Cherith, he refines at Zarephath. Let me say that again. Whatever he cuts into your life at Cherith, he will refine at Zarephath. See, uh, and I use this illustration. Let me just use it real quickly again. You can take a, 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 a bar of silver that's been cut out of a mountain, okay? And that bar of silver, it can be refined into horseshoes and be worth about $25. But then if you take that same bar of silver and refine it even more and make little silver sewing needles out of it, it can, that same bar of silver can be worth $350. But if you take that same bar of silver, right, and you somebody who's really great at refining and takes it and refines it into little silver springs that are used in high-end expensive watches. Now that same 
piece of silver is worth $250,000. Same silver, what's the difference? Yeah, the refining process. So when God comes and he cuts something into your character, he needs you to submit to the refining process. Uh, and so, and I used all kinds of illustrations in my message, uh, uh, how God <clears throat> refines us. I gave you practical ways that God comes into our life and refines us. But it's so important, the, <clears throat> what happened, your value to God. Not, again, we need to separate. There's a difference between God loves everyone exactly the same. But your value and how you can be used in the kingdom and for his glory is different for everybody. See, God wants to use you, but he doesn't want to lose you, so he has to prove you. Uh, and so uh, you have to go through tests. Uh, the enemy comes and takes trials and temptations and tests to crush us and destroy us. God shows up on the scene and takes that test to see if we'll pass it so that he can graduate us to a whole other level of God's glory. Uh, so if you can't pass the test, you don't get to go to the next level of glory. You don't go, nobody goes to another grade unless you pass some tests. And so we've got to be willing to go through the fire, come on now, the, fi the refining fire, and to allow God to refine us to a place where we become a vessel of honor, worthy, to be used by the master. And so if, if, you didn't, if you didn't get to hear those two messages, I would encourage you to, to go. Uh, Tim, are they on the podcast? I mean, to go listen to the podcast and, uh, and, and listen to them. Yeah, there's a whole lot of other stuff that I did not say there. So part three here today. Let me just read. Here, I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, um, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. It says here, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. Jump down to verse 17. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house are the ones who have troubled Israel in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed after the gods of the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asher who eat all at the table of Jezebel. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and they gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So here's the next place that God brings the prophet Elijah. I'm talking about this. Um, there is, you say, well, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. How do I get there? Well, this is the roadmap. I'm giving you the roadmap leads to Cherith, then to Zarephath. And then if, as you, if you respond correctly to the refining process, God then will send you to Mount Carmel. Okay, Mount Carmel <clears throat> literally means fruitful hill. Fruitful hill. 
There was on top of the mountain there, Mount Carmel, was all kinds of massive orchards that took place up there. So in, 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 the, in the culture in Israel, they referred to that mountain as the hill or the place of fruit. So prophetically, it's speaking of a season of fruitfulness that will take place in your life if you respond correctly to the cutting place and to the refining place. Then he says, I'm going to lead you to that place, John 15 15 says you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so what does it really mean to be fruitful and let me just say this right at the get-go being successful does not mean you're being fruitful come on now that's whole two different worlds right there and so God wants to mold us into his image that we become fruitful for his glory and his honor. Let me just use this illustration to illustrate what I'm, I'm kind of talking about here. And maybe you, you, you know this, but go ahead and just bear with me here tonight. But the, the, the large pole pine tree that is uh, very common in Yellowstone Park is a very unique pine tree. And the, the pine cone that uh, hangs off this tree is extremely strong, extremely powerful. And it will hang on that tree for years and years and decades and decades. And no matter what kind of wind comes, no matter what kind of storms come, it cannot be taken off of that branch. God created it that way. <clears throat> and so the only way, the only thing that can cause the cone of the lodgepole pine tree to fall off is intense heat. Fire. So when a fire comes to a forest like that, when that pine cone is exposed to incredible intense heat from the fire, then and only then will that pine cone release itself from the tree and fall to the ground. And then after it falls to the ground, it will lay there because it's so powerful, it's so strong that as it lays on the ground, the fire cannot burn it up. And it lays there and it stays there until the fire is gone, until it'll be there for weeks and weeks and weeks until the whole forest that's been burnt down cools down. And then when the temperature cools down to the exact right temperature, then and only then does the pine cone break open and literally seeds scatter all over the place. See, God created this universe to, to self-reproduce. So it's an image of that which is the old is being burned out. And then now those seeds will create a brand new, living, healthy forest all by itself. Beautiful picture. That's what the fire of refining is all about. He takes us, he cuts some things into our character that needs to be there cut some things out of us that don't need to be there any longer and then he refines it through the fire and then after the fire burns everything that needs to be burned out those things that are brand new will begin to explode up and out of your life and brand new things will begin to take place in your life colossians 1 10 says that you may walk worthy of the lord fully 
pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, so many people, believers, confuse success with fruitfulness. In the world, their perspective, let me give you four images of success according to the world. Number one, they determine success in your life by the size and the location of your house. So as we apply that to, to Los Angeles, here kind of thing. If you're not living, come on now, in certain zip codes, come on now, and on the coast, and in certain counties, well, you just ain't successful. You, you, you're a loser on way to being even a bigger loser kind of thing. That's the way the, the Lord looks. Now, we live like an hour away from us in a town that most people can't even say, Rancho Cucamonga, come on now. And so even though that's a nice town, people that live in Rancho Cucamonga are not considered successful. Come on now, as it relates to what's happening in Los Angeles kind of thing. And so we don't even own a house, we just rent a house, okay? And so number two, uh, the make and model of your car. That's it, man. So we, we lease a car for the, for, the, uh, for, the, uh, for the ministry kind of things. So we don't even own the car, but the car that we do own uh, is 20-some years old kind of thing. And, and, and so we definitely uh, missed the mark there. We are definitely not successful in that area. Number three, what kind of shoes you wear? I know. I mean, when I, when I was like, man, how, how, how stupid can you get and still breathe? Come on now. Really, that is the spirit of stupidity literally uh, manifesting on, at a high-end kind of thing. If you're wearing the right kind of shoes, then you are successful. Come on. I got some nice shoes on here tonight, but somebody gave me these shoes here tonight. And so kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, I mean, if you're not wearing the right shoes, you ain't successful. So if you ain't living in the right house, you ain't living in the right zip code, you don't have the right kind of car, you don't have the right kind of shoes, come on now, you definitely ain't successful. Number four, they measure your success in this world, come on now, by, they want to, uh, by the way that your wife looks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, if you, ha- if you have a beautiful wife, you are literally considered successful. Come on now. So that one I got. Come on now. That one I got. So I got, I got one out of four. Come on now. So as far as the world is concerned, I'm at 25% of me is successful. Come on now. When people look at me, kind of thing, they see how beautiful my wife is. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know that guy must have a lot of money because somebody like her doesn't hang around with a guy looking like that. Come on. Unless he's got a lot of money kind of thing. And so, so yeah, so I got one out of four working for me kind of thing. And so this is... This is how the world measures success, but this is not the way God measures success. That's not fruitfulness. That's just worldly, ungodly success right there. Success is the result of what you do, all of your labors and efforts, and you can obtain success through hard work. You can obtain success through dishonesty. You can obtain success through manipulation. You can can get success all different ways, but that does not mean that you are fruitful in the kingdom of God. Fruitfulness is a result of not what you do but who you are come on in Christ Jesus and what kind of character you got going on and so fruit is what grows out of your character success is something that you can earn in different ways 
Fruit is something that you have to grow. You don't make it happen. Uh, come on now. You have to be in Christ, John 15, literally abide in the vine, and the vine, come on, abides in you. When's the last? You can't make it happen. You just abide in the presence of God. Abide in the Word of God. If my words abide in you and you abide in my, you will. You will automatically produce fruit. Come on now. When's the last time you heard an orange tree grunting and groaning and trying to push some fruit out? Come on now. You don't hear that. They're not working. Oh, I'm going to produce an orange today. Oh, my God. No, no. It automatically just happens. If the, come on, if, the, if they're connected to the vine, come on, who is Jesus Christ? Come on now. Um, we are the branches. Come on now, Jesus Mm, there's this juice, come on, called the presence of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the presence of God flowing, come on now, to us and to the branches. If you just stay connected, you will automatically begin to produce fruit that brings glory and honor to God. Let me give you three areas of fruitfulness that are in the Scripture. Psalm chapter 128 talks about these. Number one, your wife. Or your future wife, for some of you. Reed, come on, somebody. Some of you that are here tonight, come on. Those that are watching all the different things, all different. Come on, listen, if you ain't, well, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. No, but you need to write this down, come on, so that when you do get married, that you know how to really treat your wife. Your wife, the Bible says, should be a fruitful vine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'll never forget reading, not reading, but listening to a, uh, um, a, a, a testimony um, a, a very famous coach, very famous football coach. Uh, he was being interviewed on TV kind of thing, and, and they were asking him some questions kind of thing, and he just, about success and all this kind of thing, and, and uh, he said, you know, let me just, can I just say this? I was in church yesterday, and, and my, I heard my pastor, very famous football coach, he said, I heard my, my pastor says, he said, uh, if you really want to know if you're really successful as far as God is concerned, Look into your wife's eyes and see if you can see these three things. Number one, security. Number two, fulfillment. Number three, joy. Huh. If not, you're not even close to being a success in the kingdom of God. Uh, this coach, when he heard this, he thought about that and he looked into, the, he went home and looked into the, the eyes of his wife. And he saw a hurting woman who was living in pain at the cost of his success in the natural. You know what he did the next week? He immediately resigned from one of the highest paying coaching football teams at, in that day. And said, you know what? I realized my priorities are messed up. And I am not going to stand before God one day and try to answer why my wife was not a fruitful vine who was married to me. Yeah, it, 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 it's true that every person is personally responsible for their own relationship with God. But the Bible says that a husband is the head of their wife and let me just translate that for you that does not mean you're the boss of your wife and when people hear that well I'm the boss and they're like well okay I'm the boss okay well, listen are we going to remodel the kitchen or buy a brand new boat 
I'm going for the boat. Come on, kind of get on. Because I'm the boss kind of thing. Here's what the Greek word for head, being the head of that, literally means. It means chief source in the Greek language, primary cause. Chief source, primary cause. The husband is the chief source and the primary cause of everything that happens in his wife. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he is, come on now, the, um, the head of the body of Christ, and he is the chief source and the primary cause of everything that the church experiences. How can we love? Because he first loved us. He's the chief source of that love. He's the primary cause of that love kind of thing. And so all the provision that we experience from the Lord, all the protection that we experience from the Lord is because Jesus Christ is the source of all of it, the primary source and primary cause. And so from time to time, you need to look into the eyes of your wife or your future wife, and you need to look and see what's really going on inside of her soul kind of thing. And uh, so, <clears throat> because too many husbands, they think that being the head is being some kind of control freak, and their wives aren't even allowed to do anything without getting their permission. They're like some kind of dictator. You're commanded to love your wife, but the Bible never commands the wife to love her husband. You know why? Because she's not the chief source or the primary cause of the love. Yeah, 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 yeah. The man, the husband, you are just as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head. Just as Jesus is the primary source and the chief source and primary cause of everything that the body of Christ experiences, so the husband is. So, hey, I would just challenge, I challenge people whenever I'm, you know, after 35 years of pastoring, I just, I sit, look dead in their eyes and say, listen, dude, dude, if you don't think your wife is loving you like she's supposed to be loving you, you might want to look in the mirror because you're the chief cause and the primary source of that love you're going to be held responsible. And the reality is God created women to order. When they are treated right and loved right, they respond with respect and honor. Just like when people say, man, do you have any problem obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the head of the... Absolutely not. I obey, obey him. I don't I fight with that. I don't, have, I don't struggle with that because I've experienced his unconditional love, mercy, and grace in my life over and over and over and over again. And I know that he has my best interest in his mind. So I have no, even if I don't understand it, I still obey. Come on now. And so that is, as husbands, we need to have that kind of. Number two, it says that children are supposed to be fruitful olive branches around the table. Come on now. We're never to trade our children for success in life. Don't be one of those people at the end of your life that, man, you got all kinds of success, but your kids, my goodness, they hate you. They don't want to be around you. They can't stand you. And I don't know how many men that I've had to deal with that, leaders in the church, pastors. I, got, I know pastors that have lost their marriages, lost their children, oh, but bless God, man, they had a successful ministry. What in the world is the point? 
Come on now. The Bible's incredibly clear in the epistles. If you can't even govern your own house, you got no business governing any kind of spiritual house. Yeah. So important that we do this. Uh, George Bush Sr. was asked one time, he says, what do you consider the greatest achievement in your life? He said, man, he was, he was a great war hero, vice president, the president of the United States. You know what he said? My greatest achievement is that my children still come back home and visit me. Yeah, yeah. They love their dad. They love their granddad. They love their great, great granddad. There's some real success in life right there. Number three, your own life and your own character. Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and self-control right there. Come on now. And so we need to be able to exercise that. And it's so important. Too much success too quickly will destroy you. More people, more people have been destroyed by success than failure ever, ever even thought about destroying people. And, uh, and so you got to, success will eventually destroy. I don't care, man. We, you've seen it. Great leaders all over the world. Some of the most wealthiest people in the world. You, you come in, you listen to their stories. In the end, they're much, some of the most miserable people on the planet kind of thing. They're getting divorced left and right. Their children can't stand to be around them kind of thing. But my God, they got billions of dollars in the bank kind of thing. And they got all of this stuff. But... They, they got no real, genuine, <clears throat> biblical, godly source in their life because they could not exercise any kind of true, godly love <clears throat> or self-control in their own life. And so it's so important that we do that. Again, fruitfulness is what comes out of you because of who you are, not because of what you do. So as we go back here to the life of Elijah, there, let me just give you, <clears throat> just to write these things down here, we're studying the Bible. There's six things that came out of, out of the character of Elijah that made him fruitful on Mount Carmel. Right there, let me say that again. So he's going to Mount Carmel. This, is, this big showdown is going to take place, okay? And he's going to call fire down, and he's going to end up slicing the throat of 850 false prophets in the end. And he's literally calling. He said, man, you need to choose who you're going to serve, serve God or serve Baal, but you can't stay in the middle any longer. And so he calls the fire down. He offers up the worship. Come on, he literally, that's an incredible story. Builds this altar, I'm telling you right now, and then offers an act of offers an offering to the Lord. You know what the offering was? The most valuable thing, water on the planet. And they brought all, man, just literally barrels and barrels and barrels of the most valuable thing, the most precious thing in that moment right there on that day and offered it up as an act, as an act of worship and offering unto God there at the altar and then began to call the fire down. The fire of God came down and consumed not only the water, the altar, but literally consumed the rocks themselves. Nothing was left there alone and so how kind of what kind of power what kind of fruitfulness what kind of uh, uh comes number one it came out of the reason elijah had that kind of character they could display that kind of fruitfulness is number one is that he had this incredible communion with god as you read uh, 17 1 18 15 different verses it says as the lord lives before whom i stand 
Uh, pay attention to that phrase, before whom I stand. Before he ever prophesied, he always declared, I am standing before God. <clears throat> and he, so here, when you stand before God, man, you can look into the face of evil and not be intimidated by it, not be controlled by it, not be manipulated by it kind of thing. But if your heart is not right, you'll be controlled by that. And Elijah stood there, come on, having this character cut into him, refined in him, standing, looking into the face of evil there. Come on now, because he stood. The point is he had this place that he spent with God every day. Every day he's going there and he's standing with God before God, allowing God to literally develop something very strong, something very powerful in his heart so that he could look. <clears throat> there were some people that uh, when it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, when they looked, you know the story, they turned into pillars of salt because their heart wasn't right. Abraham, great man of God, he looked at the same city, at the same people. It says in the Genesis chapter 19, verse 27, and nothing happened to him. Come on, nothing. Just stood there at Sodom and looked. Because it isn't what your eyes behold, it's what your heart beholds that condemns you before God. And so it's, man, what's going on in our hearts? How strong really is our heart to be fruitful? There's got to be this secret place that you have with God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says to study yourself, study to show yourself someone who is approved by God and unto God. Come on now. Studying the scriptures, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, and so important that we, again, I, 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 you've heard me say it again, let me say it again tonight. It's not good enough just to read the Bible. You've got to be somebody who studies the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. That's why I, I take them to tell you because the Bible was written in Hebrew and in Aramaic. And then when Alexander the Great conquered the world, he required everybody to read and write in the Greek language. And then God moved upon somebody to take the Aramaic, um, that, the New Testament that was written in the Aramaic and the Hebrew and translated it into the Greek language. And then years later, King James authorized some Catholic monks to take that which was in the Greek that was written in the Aramaic and the Hebrew and translated into English. So we got it from going from the Hebrew and Aramaic to the Greek to the English. So the translations going, they are not. That's what they're, they're, they were translated by men that were just human men kind of thing. The original Aramaic, the original Hebrew was God-breathed. And so if you don't study the scriptures and understand what they were, how they were originally written and how they were originally communicated, uh, you will miss many times what is really being said in the scriptures through the translations. And then we got all kinds of translations that are some are not even translations kind of thing. And so it's so important that we do that. Mark chapter 3 verse 14 says <clears throat> that he called or appointed the 12 to be with him. Before they got any kind of power and authority, they spent three years with him. That was their training. It was like going to a college. It was like their classroom. It was Miracles 101. Come on now. They just weren't just hanging out with Jesus kind of thing. And there was this development that took place in their lives. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that Peter, James, and John, I mean, I'm talking, the power, the authority, the dominion, the character, the fruit that these guys walked with. It says that the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they, they realized, oh my God, aren't, the, aren't these Galileans? 
Galileans were like, uh, they're like, they're like uh, Israeli hillbillies. Come on now, come on now. That's the, way they, that's the way they referred to the Galilean people. Uneducated kind of thing. Aren't these guys Galileans? And yet they, they knew so much about the scriptures and they walked with such power and authority and they said, the only conclusion that we could come to is that these guys have been with Jesus. Come on now. Uh, they've been in the presence of Jesus. They're spending time in those, meditating on the words of Jesus right there. That's what we need to do. That's what Elijah did. Number two, he had clear convictions. Come on now. Having clear convictions that flow out of your communion with God. No compromise. Come on now. The path of the just is like a shining light that grows brighter every day. Proverbs chapter 4 says. That doesn't sound like a gray area. It's getting brighter and brighter every day. Not getting grayer and grayer. Everything is black and white with God. There is no gray areas. If you spend time in his presence, you're going to know what is right and what is wrong. Come on now. If you're going to be somebody who's really effective, come on now, and really last in the arts and industry, come on now, in the entertainment industry, man, you've got to be somebody that allows this process to take place in your life. Deep convictions, no confusion, no wandering around. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I'm following Christ. Come on now. I know how I'm living, the Apostle Paul says. And if you will follow me, you will eventually catch up with Christ. That's what he's saying. Oh, and yet, what do we do? We go around saying, well, don't follow me. Just follow Jesus. No, that's a cop-out. They can't see Jesus. Come on now, Jesus ain't on the planet. Father, the, the Father is not on the planet. The only person of the Godhead that's on the planet is the Holy Spirit, and He's living on the inside of you. Come on now. And so the only Jesus that people are going to see is you. And so you need to have some deep convictions. Come on now. It's a clear conscience right here. Clear convictions that you can stand up and say, if you follow me, come on now, follow me as I follow Christ. And you're going to experience some real blessing in your life. First Kings 18.30 said, Elijah said, draw near to me. Come on now and watch how God's going to work in your lives. Gideon said, come on now, it's the Gideon. Come on, it's the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. He said, you, he said to the 300 men, come on, you do what I say and you, and you say what I say and you do what I do, he said. Gideon went from who, me? I'm nobody. God says, listen, you're a mighty man of valor, Gideon. Come on, you're courageous. You're bold. You're a warrior. He said, no, not me. Come on now. You got the wrong kind of guy. And so he's like, what? He's looking around. He's hiding out. He's trying to come on, sift wheat in, come on, under the ground. You can't do that. You got to be above ground so the wind can catch it and blow, the sh and blow it away kind of thing. And you can't do that, but he's so afraid and everything kind of thing. And he said, no, it can't possibly be me. I'm the youngest in my family. My family is the, the youngest, the weakest in my clan. My clan is the weakest in the tribe kind of thing. I'm a triple loser, he said. Come on, you can't possibly be me. But God calls those things that be not as though they are. Come on now. He looks at you. Remember I said, God does not live in time. 
He lives outside of time. Come on, he has the ability to live in the past, present, and the future all at the same time. He's living in your future, calling you from the future to the future, and he sees you in the future, and you're looking a whole lot better than you do today. Come on now. And that's why he doesn't get nervous in the service when you blow it today. Come on now. Because he knows how you're going to end up. Come on now. He knows you're going to be a mighty warrior, and he's willing to work with you and in you through the process like he did with Elijah, like he did with Gideon, until you come to a place, you know, you know what? Oh my God, I can do what God's called me to do. Come on now. I can say what God, and I am going to be successful. I am going to be fulfilled. You do what I do. Say what I say. Blow those trumpets and watch what God will do for us. Come on now. That's what God, that's the kind of generation that God is looking for. Some deep convictions on the inside. Clear convictions. No compromise. We serve a God and we serve nobody else. Number three, a commitment not to compromise. As far as Elijah was concerned, he was the only one left. He did not realize that the, the prophet Obadiah, you think about that, man. We, uh, he's the Obadiah, he's in charge of, of um, the governor of the palace. So he's living in the palace with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he runs the palace, come the, prof, the prophet Obadiah. But he literally takes a hundred other prophets that have not bowed their knee to the Baals and to Ahab and Jezebel. And he literally is hiding them in caves and taking care of them and feeding them and bringing water. And he's doing all of this, come on now, and like an undercover CIA agent, come on now, in the house, come on now, of King Ahab. So, but Elijah doesn't understand that. He doesn't know that. He has falsely judged Obadiah when they meet. I'm not going to take time to read that kind of thing, but he falsely judges Obadiah for staying in the house. And I just want to take a moment here and encourage us. Sometimes people call us to be in circumstances and to literally be in the midst of evil itself kind of thing and he's raised us up to be light there so don't you don't know somebody's heart don't look from a distance and say oh man that can't possibly be a true calling of god that guy god wouldn't call somebody to do something like that kind of thing and uh and yet you don't know god called obadiah to be in that house to be and to stay there and to not move and so, but Elijah didn't understand that. He did not know that as far as he was concerned, he was the only one left. And even though he had a false narrative and, and the script that he was running through his mind was not true, he really did believe that. And in believing that, he still refused to compromise, even though he really believed he was the only one left. And man, that spirit, like the three Hebrew children, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, we refuse to bow to your idols. Come on now. You can throw us into the fire, but our God will deliver us. That was their declaration of faith. Our God will deliver us. And then they said on top of it, but let's just say he doesn't deliver us. We're still not going to bow to your idols. We're still not going to do that. So go ahead and do what you got to do, king. Throws them in the fire. And the only thing that they come out, they don't even come out smelling like smoke. They come out, come on out, totally free. Everything that kept them bound was cut. It was refined. And they had a revelation of who Jesus Christ was the fourth man in the fire like nobody else. Why? Because they had a commitment to never compromise. Number four, Elijah had a clean clear conscience. 
1 Timothy 1.5 says, love God with a clear conscience. Hebrews 13.8 says, pray for us that we have a clean conscience before all men. Come on now. We thank God for his mercy. <clears throat> the power of his blood, it forgives us, sets us free. That we can literally have the power by the, uh, the Holy Spirit and by the word of God to stand before God with a clear conscience. Number five, have the courage to confront the evil day that's in us. That's before us, excuse me. Confront the, mm, the, the courage to confront. Ahab said to Elijah, you are the troubler of Israel. Elijah said, I don't think so. I do not think so. You, looked right, in, right into the eyes of the king and said, you're the one who is the troubler. You're the one that's the cause of everything that's happening. And so <clears throat> sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we reap a poor harvest in our lives, in our marriage, in our families, come on, in, the, uh, in whatever we're called to do with our lives, because we simply refuse to confront the evil that comes before us. Mm. Sometimes we don't even confront the only evil that's in our heart that the Holy Spirit is showing us. You remember the story when young Samuel was being raised in the house of the Lord kind of thing, and he's, hearing, he's learning to hear the voice of the Lord as a young boy. And uh, he, he comes and God gives him a message to give to the, to the, to the priest Eli. And he goes and he gives and he says that, uh, that uh, tells of the message. And here's what happens. The reason that uh, his sons end up dying in battle, they end up losing the Ark of the Covenant. One of his daughter-in-laws gives birth to a son. They name him Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed from the house of God. And all because Eli refused to discipline his children. He refused to confront what was going on in his sons' and daughters' lives. Therefore, everything that he had, he ended up losing. What you gain through compromise, you will eventually lose. Let me say that again. What you gain through compromise, you will eventually lose. Uh, and so it's so important that we have that kind of spirit, that we are have the confidence courage to confront that in our lives <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> number six is confidence in the god of the present come on this thing is going to be settled today elijah says right there i've said you set up your altar i'm going to set up my altar right there and he says we're going to see who is the real god the God that answers by fire. Come on, today, the God of the now. Not the, we're not looking for a God who's going to act tomorrow. We're not looking for the God who acts yesterday. We're looking for the God who's going. He had a confidence that his God moves now, today, right now. As somebody who's been preaching, teaching, and pastoring for 35 years, I have grown weary of listening to preachers, going to conferences and conventions, and listening to people say, get ready, get ready, get ready, something's about to happen. In fact, I don't even, I, I'm actually done with all of that stuff. I'm done, I'm, I'm done listening to preachers like that because all they are doing is getting the whole body of Christ to wait for something that's going to happen someday, someday, someday. Get ready, get ready, get what it's like forever getting ready kind of thing. And the, the reality is, if you don't come to a place that God, nope, 
I am ready. Come on now. I got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. I don't need to pray for more power. When the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of me, he brought the entire kingdom with him. Come on. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. So come on. So if, if the Holy and it's all in the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is living in me, I got the entire kingdom and all the power of the kingdom is already in me. Therefore, I don't need to pray for more power. I don't need to ask the Lord to turn up the power. I don't, there ain't no two Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one kingdom. I got it all on the inside of me. Paul says you need to pray that you receive a fresh daily, come on now, spirit of wisdom and revelation concerning who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you, concerning the call of God upon your life and the power of his resurrection that's absolutely working in you right now. Not tomorrow, right now. Get a revelation that it's working now. Stop waiting for something to happen tomorrow. If you can release some intentional faith, come on now, that something's going to happen now. Faith works in the now. Remember now? Hope is for the future. Faith is in the... So once you lose hope for the future, you've lost all power in the present. Because faith only works in the present tense. Hope is for the future tense. So it's important that you have hope. But hope keeps the, come on, it keeps everything alive for the future. But sooner or later, hope doesn't change your circumstances. Faith is the power that changes present day circumstances. But if you have no hope, for, so that's why I say once you lose hope for the future, you've lost all power to change anything today because you'll have no faith for today. But faith needs to be alive and living and intentional now, today. Intentional obedience releases intentional faith that releases intentional power right now. Come on now. And once you begin to act that way, I'm telling you right now, the God, that God is going to answer now, today, not tomorrow, not the next week kind of thing. Come on, even Gideon got up. He said, man, I am sick and tired. Where is this God? Come on, who does all these miracles that everybody's talking about. I'm sick and tired of listening to all these stories about this God from the past who did all these signs and wonders. I want to see a God who does miracles now. And when Gideon started moving with that kind of right now intentional faith, miracles started happening in Gideon's life. And he started seeing miraculous things take place. Come on now. So that's what we need to, we need to have that kind of intentional faith, come on now, to see this manifest in our lives. Come on now, that's my goal. My goal, you said, what's your goal for your life? My goal is like this, uh, man, I'm praying this, I hope, I, hope, I hope I'm doing a good job right now, but the goal of my life is at the end of my life, that my, life, my wife still respects me and my children still admire me. That's, that's what I'm living for right there, right there, that's it. If I can have that at the end, I know that, I, that I've been successful in the kingdom of God. Everything else will fall into proper place. And so, <clears throat> man, you say, but I just want to be, I want to be the president of my company. Great, go for it. Man, pff. but <clears throat> do not sacrifice your marriage or your children to be that. Again, success, <clears throat> fruitfulness is something that comes out of who you are that glorifies God. Uh, and so it's so important that we see that happen in our place. Let me end with what I said several weeks ago and just kind of remind you about this kind of thing. Again, going back to Proverbs chapter 4, I'm going to end with this, with this thought here tonight. It's 9 o'clock already. And, uh, and that is so important that we understand this. 
Again, when in Proverbs chapter, uh, I, I remember I shared with you, the, the word for wisdom is C-H-O-K-M-A-H. And there are six different Hebrew words used for wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs. That particular word right there is used 42 times in the book of Proverbs, okay? And that particular word that's used the most, that Solomon uses the most, has nothing to do with your experiences. There is a Hebrew word that refers to wisdom that comes by way of experience. There is a Hebrew word that, that talks about wisdom that comes by your age, okay? But the one that Solomon uses the most is this Hebrew word 42 different times, and it is the Hebrew word that talks about that wisdom, the wisdom that only can come by revelatory understanding. And so it has nothing to do with your experiences, has nothing to do with how old or young anybody, no matter how young you are in the Lord, no matter how old you are, no matter how many experiences you have or don't have, Solomon is saying that you can tap into this wisdom that comes by revelation knowledge as you spend time in the presence of the Lord. Remember I said <clears throat> that the word proverb literally doesn't just simply mean wise saying, it means because... Uh, the, the definition of wisdom is this, revelation knowledge that will empower you to live with dominion in life. Revelation knowledge that gives you dominion to rule and reign in life. The more wisdom you had in whatever area of your life, it will open up, it becomes revelation, light comes, and with that light, a whole other level of power and authority and that principle works whether you're saved or not saved kind of thing. As you walk, the more wisdom that you walk in, the more power you walk in in this world kind of thing. And so Solomon is saying that my proverbs or my way, my, my, my proverbs are wise sayings that only come by revelation knowledge. And once you receive it as a revelatory understanding, it will impart to you the power to reign and to walk with dominion over your circumstances in life. So when we get to Proverbs chapter 4, when it says, pay attention to my words, he's talking about wisdom that comes by way of revelation knowledge. He says, and get that into your heart. Come on now. And the Hebrew word for heart is L-E-V-A-V, and it means not only your spirit, but your mind, your will, your emotions, your affections, and your ability to discern. That's all wrapped in the Hebrew word for heart. Let me say it again. Your spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions, your affections, and your ability to discern what's happening in your life is all flowing out of your heart. So when it says, man, guard your heart, listen to my words, get my wisdom, or allow, ask the Holy Spirit to spend time in his presence, abide in his words, his words are going to abide until they become revelation, until they become flesh. Come on now, the word of God, Jesus, is the word, and he became flesh, or he literally fleshed out the word of God. Come on, and you need to live your life in such a way that you are fleshing out the word of God so that people can see it as they come in contact with you, and that only happens. Revelation is not a revelation until you're living it. If you're not living it, it's not a revelation to you. You just think you've got a revelation. But once you're actually fleshing it out and you're actually walking it out and you're actually living it so that people can actually see 
that which is revelation to you, they will see the wisdom, come on, and be drawn to the light of that wisdom right there and want, want what you have right there. And he says, once you get that into your heart, guard your heart, be diligent and vigilant, guard your heart with everything that you got because out of your heart or your spiritual womb, come on now, will flow, most translations use the word issues, he, again, if you don't study the Word of God, absolutely crazy poor translation. He has, I mean, you don't even begin to tap into what the Hebrew language is saying there. And the Hebrew word is yasa, Y-A-S-A, and it's literally translated every single time in the Hebrew language, seasons, not issues. He says, so Solomon is trying to say that, and most of the time, 90% of the time within, within Hebrew literature, it is literally translated a springtime season in someone's life. So Solomon is saying, in the wisdom of Solomon, he's saying right now, if you can spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit, let me just bring it down to you in New Testament terms, come on, in the secret place, spending time in his presence, and spending time in his word, come on, if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe on it, this is, this is nothing more than a history book until the Holy Spirit breathes on it and it comes, the, it comes off the page and into your heart and literally becomes part of the very fabric of your spiritual being right there. It becomes life right there. It becomes strength. It becomes power. It becomes the anointing. It becomes the fruit of the Holy Spirit uh, as it's breathed on you and into you by the, the Holy Spirit. So you, and so you need both. You need the Word and the Spirit right there. When Jesus was on the mountain, the cloud that represented the presence of the Holy Spirit, then the word of the Father came, and then the transfiguration took place. You can't, can't, there's no such thing as being transfigured by the glory without the anointing or the presence of the Holy Spirit and the word. It takes both to take place, a transformation, and that which was in Jesus literally came out and transformed his physical body, transformed his clothes, and Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are transfigured or transformed as we look into the mirror of God. God's word. We look in why? Because the mirror of God's word reflects who we really are. It shows us who Jesus Christ really is, and you begin to see Jesus in the Word of God. James says that's the problem is that so many believers are looking into the mirror of God, and then they go away from the mirror, and they forget who they really are in Christ Jesus. They forget what they saw in the mirror, and they start acting like something else than who they really are in the mirror. That's why you got to go back to the mirror every single day. Stare into the mirror of God's Word. Stare into the mirror of God's Word. Come on, with your face on veiled and behold Jesus who is the glory of God the Father himself and as you do that that which is in you mm, will be worked out of you come on now through the transfiguration so that people can see it and then be drawn to the light according to Isaiah chapter 60 there the glory of the Lord has already it's in you come on now but it needs to come up upon you come on now and something can't come upon you unless it's in you upon is two words up and on so it has to be in you and then come up 
and then on you. Come on now. So the Holy Spirit is in you for you. It comes up and then on you for other people. But if you don't spend time in his presence, come on now, and allow that transformation and transfiguration become take place on the inside of you. That's where the real fruit. Because Solomon's saying once you spend time in his presence, revelation knowledge comes. The wisdom of God, which is the wisdom of God, it literally gives you the power to live with dominion and overcome things in your life. And then he says, as you guard that in your heart, out of that guarding, that revelation that's in your heart, you will cause your life, no matter what's happening, good, bad, and ugly, he says, your heart is what is shaping, forming, and fashion what season you're going to live in. Ah, that's what Proverbs 4 is saying. It has nothing to do with your Your circumstances are not fashioning the season that you're living. Your age is not fashioning what season you're living. He says, what's going on in your heart? Come on. So if your heart stays tender before the Lord, come on now, and revelatory understanding concerning the wisdom of God, come on now, is, is coming into your heart, and you guard that. He said, that right there will form, it will fashion a and cause you to live, no matter what's happening in your life, it will literally cause you to live in a springtime season where new things are constantly being budding up. Mm, things are, that used to be dead are resurrecting in your life. So that's what Solomon is saying. The season, yeah, you, you bought into a lie when you think. See, if you think that the world, people, your circumstances are controlling uh, what season you're living, then you're in deep trouble because you've got no power. Uh, you, nothing's going to change. But now, once you understand, when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit and His revelation concerning and your heart stays tender, you keep that, uh, Solomon says, your heart will now begin to form and fashion that season that you're going to live in right there. Come on now. That's what I'm saying here. Elijah went from Cherith, the cutting place, to Zarephath, the refining place, to the place of living in a season of abundant fruit in his life. Come on now. All because he allowed God to do a work of grace in his heart. That's how men of God are made. That's how women of God, that's how a prophetic generation in these last days is going to rise up and have the courage to stand dead center in one of the most, if not the most evil city in the world right here and stand up and decree the word of the Lord and allow the light to go forth and change and influence for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that it's alive, it's powerful, it's life-changing, Lord God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> ah, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you that it, it literally brings revelation to us. It brings your wisdom to us, Lord God. Lord, we do, Lord God. We have a heart, Lord God. We want to be more like you. 
We want to be transformed and transfigured into your likeness, Lord God. Your word says that we are literally predestined to be just like Jesus, according to chapter Romans chapter 8. And so, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that your word decrees that the Holy Spirit is praying and interceding for us, that Jesus is praying for us, that God the Father, that nothing that comes our way can separate, that his love is overwhelmingly, literally just hovering over our lives. The whole Godhead is watching over us Lord God and by virtue of that that no matter what happens in our life as long as we stay tender before you Lord God and Lord God and are called stay in the calling of God you said you take the good the bad and the ugly and work it all together you would synergize it with your power and cause an outcome to take place in our life that should not have taken place by natural circumstances but I'm going to put my super on your natural and cause something that should not have been the outcome to become the outcome uh, that's the way I work in my sons and daughters lives so I thank you father for doing that in each and every person's life here tonight thank you Holy Spirit for taking your word Holy Spirit I ask you sir now that you would seal the seed of God's word in our hearts tonight in the soil in our spiritual rooms, that it might grow, that it might develop, that it might mature, that we might give birth to the manifestation of your seed, of your promise, your dream, your vision for our lives, Lord. When it's all said and done, may we be able to stand before you and hear your words, well done, thou good and faithful servant enter in to the joy of the lord i pray lord god that's our heart tonight lord i know it is thank you holy spirit for working this in and through and for us and may you receive all the glory now in jesus name amen 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 god bless you guys